0: This is the Jason Kavnis Experience, hosted by Jason Kavnis. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business,
1: people, leadership, HR, and how each guest strives to be great every day. Hello, and welcome to Jason Kavnis Experience. I'm your host, Jason Kavnis. The Jason Cabinets Experience is brought to you by Cabinets HR. At Cabinets HR, we deliver HR to companies with 49 or fewer people across the United States. Cabinets HR, focus on your business where you've got your HR. Our guest today is Danny Null. Danny, are you ready to be great today? Absolutely. Danny was born and raised in Cache Valley. He married his wife, Britt, in 2012. He completed his master's in business administration at the Hudson School of Business at Utah State in 2015. While while in the MBA program, one of the projects was to create a business idea and business plan to launch a new product. From that, the infused hydration was started. Since then, Danny has worked in sales and recruiting, has been the executive director for a nonprofit, developed and patented a new technology, has been awarded a military contract, and sold 30 units in the first 12 months of business. Gained and lost forty pounds, lost all of his hair, and still finds enough time to play with his four kids under five years old. Danny, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, glad I'm glad to be here. We uh, we've actually sold thirty thousand units uh, over the past uh, year, but um, I I'm excited to be able to talk to you guys just to, to talk to you a little bit today, Jason, and and uh, tell you a little bit about what we're doing at Infuse um, and what we're kind of our culture and, and, uh, and company that we've built. So, uh, just to give you a brief background infuse, uh, like you said, here was a project company that I started in my MBA course. And what it is is developed a system that allows you to add flavor or electrolytes directly into your water while you're drinking it without contaminating the reservoir itself. So, uh, this system right here, this is our, our vessel. You've got a cartridge that's in the lid that holds your flavor And that just plugs right in. You've got pure water in the bottom. And then you can turn this dial on or off. So I can go over to the side and have pure water. Turn the dial and in comes flavor, electrolytes, caffeine, uh, whiskey, whatever you need to get through the day. Uh, We've also got a hydration pack version of this. And that was actually the first product um, that I thought of while I was backpacking and suffering from dehydration. And had this great idea, like, hey, let's dump in this Kool-Aid so that I can have a little bit of flavor to this water that tastes like mud. And uh, that was great for the first 20 ounces, but then I had 100 ounces of fruit punch, which was nowhere near as appetizing as it sounded. And uh, then the pack itself was stained red and tasted like cherry fruit punch for the rest of its existence. And on our way, uh, our way out of this hike... We were talking about like, hey, there's got to be a way that you could just add flavor without contaminating the whole pack, and so uh, that was the initial idea. Uh, that's also where the military has come in and has seen such a great use for our product because they, they deal with dehydration on a daily basis, and it's serious to them. I didn't, I didn't know this, but uh, the uh, a military or an uh, a Department of Defense personnel uh, medic they view dehydration as serious as a gunshot wound. They actually classify it as a casualty if someone goes down with a uh, heat stroke or just cramps and dehydration because they have to evac back and all those other things. And so our product, uh, we're able to, we increase water intake by over 250% when someone uses our system, just because it's a little bit of taste, a little bit of flavor. You're also getting electrolytes. So we're solving dehydration due to water intake. We're getting more of it in there for them and then lack of absorption uh, we're solving that by providing the electrolytes to so your body's actually using that, that uh, hydration as you, as you need it. Um, so that's you know kind of in a nutshell what the business is. Uh, we've built the company over the past five years. The first three years was me by myself and some engineers uh, working around the clock to develop this system. And it was way more difficult than I ever thought it was going to be. And the reason was there's a physics issue we had to overcome to make the liquids mix when they're supposed to, but not leak all over the place. And that took about two years to just get that product finished up. Um, And then we officially went full time with my, with my full team. We have a a team now of five people um, and then six other full time assembly workers, but they, we went full time two years ago. Today, actually, two years ago on May 1st was, was day one Congrats. for the whole, yeah, it's uh, it's, I, I didn't even realize it was the anniversary, but, uh, in that, that past two years, um, we, uh, spent, you know, the first six months kind of in prep, we officially launched in March of 2019 and, uh, we had a goal to do a million dollars in sales our first year. We did. Uh, we came a little short. We did nine hundred thousand in our first twelve months, but we made up for it in the in the following month. We broke that million dollar mark within thirteen months of sales, and uh, we're having a record month. We had a record month in April, and uh, we're really excited to see what we can do. You know, for the rest of twenty twenty, regardless of, of what the current. Uh, economic and pandemic situation is, the company as a, as a whole seems to be, you know, we're really close to that stabilizing and profitable point as a startup, which is both uh, exciting and terrifying at the same time. So that's a little bit about our company. Um, some of the initiatives that we do have coming up that, you know, might be of interest to, to other people is we, we, we've always had the term infuse your life as our kind of hashtag. And what that means is just enhance your life. Um, we, we view what we do to hydration and water as enhancing and taking water to the next level. And so the culture of infusing your life, we have really got behind um, and built a whole marketing and cultural campaign around this. Uh, we've got an app that's coming out here in the next few weeks that will help people infuse their life daily by one, setting some goals and helping tr- keep track and achieve those goals. Uh, two, track their water and fitness intake. And then the third piece of it is we we're actually going to be doing competitions and month, monthly giveaways of you know three to five thousand dollar trips and prizes every month that people can win just by by signing in. Um, and kind of the reason for this is we are bringing the brand uh and the impact of what the brand can have to the life of our customers instead of just saying hey drink some water it tastes good we're saying this is why our product is amazing it's going to change your life and it's going to do it in other ways than just keeping you healthy it's going to take everything you're doing, hopefully to that next level a little bit. So, uh, we're excited for what we can do. And, uh, obviously culture and, and HR all come into play, uh, in a bigger way than I ever realized going through, you know, school or even those first few years, starting it up when there was, there wasn't a business, it was just an idea. now as we've gotten to experience you know a full two years of personnel um also a full year of growth which we've grown on average 35 percent per month it's really uh highlighted our weaknesses and areas where we needed the most uh help and so it's been interesting
1: Annie, where, where do you make your product at
0: so we make 99 percent of our parts right here in our in our own shop um, that wasn't on purpose. We wanted to OEM and outsource all of, all of them that we could, but the technology required very specific and precise parts that we had to make to our own specifications. And then because we were so small, we couldn't afford huge, you know, inventory purchases. The product needed to be tested. And so it was actually cheaper for us uh, to bring in the manufacturing ourselves. So we brought in injection mold uh, presses for our plastic parts. We built the molds. And so every plastic part we make in our, in our back shop. We have two presses that run 24 hours a day. And then we have about 22 molds that we use to make the, the 60 separate pieces that create both of our systems.
1: So Dan, you talk a little about how COVID nineteen has been affecting you. How has it affected you, if any?
0: It's been really interesting. Um, it's obviously a something that's on our mind every single day. Uh, from a sales perspective, our online sales have done really well. We've had you know people are at home more. There's still money in the economy, so people are still purchasing. I think where it's going to get scary is. If this continues for another month or two and that money starts to run out, people aren't gonna be making the same kind of purchases that they are when when they're fully employed. Uh, The impact that's been negative has been on our B2B and retail sales. Uh, We were gearing up for a really big promotional item season. uh, And then this, you know, the spring feeds into fall for us. So for Christmas, I think we're gonna feel some impact on that. Um, but from an overall functional standpoint, our sales have grown. But channel-wise, retail, B2B, and even our military sales have really been uh, kind of downplayed and, or, or completely turned off for, for a little while until things stabilize.
1: So Dan, do you mainly sell this as the e-commerce on Amazon or how do you push this out? Like yeah, it, channels yeah, you use? Right,
0: right now it's 90% e-commerce. Um, we had about 10% that was B2B that, that's gone, but, uh, but that, I mean, that'll come back, but, uh, we did that on purpose so that we could get through all the product iterations. There's a lot of tweaks and changes we've made over the past year to make the product more stable, easier to use. Um, not big changes, Literally, you know, thousands of an inch uh, changes on parts to make them seal a little bit better. Or we've added an extra O-ring to a part so that it seals better. And then a lot of it's been on quality control and uh, process to make sure that the system's coming out more consistent. And so in the 30,000 units, we've learned a lot and we're ready. We've decided we, you know, with our feedback and everything that we were ready to start going into that retail the first of this year. But that hasn't quite materialized with, with everything that's happened. So e-commerce almost, almost completely.
1: So Danny, when someone decides to start a business, you know, most people realize it's going to be, you know, well, the smart ones realize it's going to be a long long haul, you know, it's a physical challenge, no long hours. But I think a lot of people underestimate the mental challenge it is, right? The mental strain it puts on you, right? Can you talk about the mental strain it does puts on people as an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a, That's a, a uh, an understatement. I think the when I was starting it, I was very obviously I was naive. Everyone that starts a business, I think, gratefully is naive because if we fully understood what it was going to take, maybe we wouldn't have done it. But uh, in twenty fifteen. Uh, when I started, I was coming right out of school. I had to juggle three to four jobs for those first three years. Um, I founded a bakery at the same time with a partner, my, my same partner that's here with me. And then one of our, one other friend of ours. Um, and that was, uh, you know, in the, in the hustle of things to try to grow our just cash flow to keep the business afloat. We needed other jobs to support me and my family. Um, that was hard. Just, Not just working one job, not just working on our product or project uh, or our company 80 hours a week. I was working probably 50 hours a week on infuse on average and then another 50 hours a week easily on my other jobs to pay my bills. Um, I literally remember getting done at the bakery. The the company was called Baked and uh, we'd finished up at Baked at midnight. I got in the car and had to drive two, uh, two hours, one way to drop one of our injection molds off to one of our suppliers so they could do some tests on it. And then I had to drive home. So it's four hour round trip. I got home, you know, four in the morning. I literally had to be up at 7. AM to get things started for the bakery. And, uh, that like, that was my very pretty consistently I'd work something like that two or three days a week. I pulled an all nighter once a week, at least for projects, investor pitches, anything that we were preparing for, uh, for, for three years. And so that mentally was really hard. Um, And then we kind of stabilized. And I think the hardest thing that's been, the the thing that's been the hardest for me to keep up with is that, uh, and, and comprehend is that things don't ever really get easier. We just get a little bit better at, handling what the current situation is, but things always progressively change and get harder. So where we've had, you know, we'd have something happen where one month, you know, we'd have to raise money and we'd be right at the very breaking point, but somehow we'd pull it off. And I would think, wow, things just can't get any worse than that was. And then, uh, you know, six months later we have a part fell and our return rates 20% for a month and we're bleeding money. And the investors are tired of the process and I'm tired of the process, but I have to make sure I'm keeping a, you know, a positive outlook and, and uh, keeping everybody going. That gets hard. It feels, you feel very alone in some of those situations, even though you're not right. Like my partners, they're with me every single day. They're going through these same issues. I could not do it without them. And from a mental standpoint and from a workload standpoint, I, I couldn't possibly do it by myself. But mentally, you feel alone. and um, I think the only thing that's really helped me on that is I, I I have the confidence in the product, right? We've done all of our analysis, we've done all of our research. We know that it's gonna it can work. And I know that we have the right team to be able to make it work. Uh, I've had to really just be patient with myself, temper my expectations a little bit. And really try to keep a middle ground uh, emotional state, never get too high, never get too low on what we're, what we're going through. If that, if that answers your question. Yes,
1: it does. And I think people realize entrepreneur, sometimes it's harder, you know, there's so many valleys, so many highs, you got to, use your balance, like, you know, okay, yeah. I just lost this, you know, big contract, you know, yeah. you know, the business is going to fail. Well, it's probably not going to fail. Right. Or vice versa. I mean, this investors invests a lot of money in me. We're going to take off. Well, Maybe you're not going to take off right.
0: Costs more than it costs more. Than takes longer. Everyone says that. I just I didn't fully comprehend what it meant. Um, I still don't. Like I'm still learning what stabilizing means. And it takes takes longer than you think. And, it, and honestly, it's okay. Like if I would have had, you know, we we've, we've had to invest about two million dollars into this company to get it going. Um, and I I have that thought sometimes. Like oh, if I'd have just had the two million dollars that first six months, we'd be so much further down the road. And in reality, I don't think that that's true. I think that the money has come when we've been ready for it. And that's been very critical for us to grow because had we have had that funding right at the beginning, we probably would have wasted it. We probably wouldn't have had the understanding that we've gained on, on how to be successful with it. It would have just been, you know, it would have been an ace that we played our first hand instead of holding it, uh, until the time was right. Kind of
1: thing. I know what you mean. Cause like, my first year, years as my, I wasted so much money like doing stuff that was ahead of the game. Right, like I paid for for a sales platform. I was already ready for sales. You know, I imagine I'd had like you know a two million dollars invested. I would have wasted on you know stuff yeah. I wasn't ready for yet. You know,
0: oh, and it's so it, it seems so smart at the time. You know, like you convince yourself like, oh, I definitely should buy merchandise and have you know t-shirts and hats because we don't have a product, but we have a cool brand. So let's make a brand and that. I still have some of those shirts from, you know, five years ago, that just never we never did anything with them. Cause I ordered too many of the extra smalls instead of the extra, <laughs> you know, It's like these silly things that you just don't know. And someone can tell you, but like until you've made the purchase order and realized like, Oh gosh, I screwed that up. Like you can't quite comprehend what it
1: is. Yeah. Means. All right. Are you, are you going to like throw all your, all, your, all your, some of your old accounting stuff you've done at where you pay for like, I paid how much for what Oh, it's what de- was I thinking? Yeah, it's
0: depressing. And it's just like, well, I guess the only thing that's positive is that we're not still paying for that marketing firm that we were paying a thousand dollars a week to do what? Like, what were they doing? And so, yeah, it's it's been interesting to, for sure. But it's also been things that at the time, like, it seemed like the right choice. And we talked to our, I talked to my investors, I talked to my advisors. We would make the choices together, but. Every business is so different from one another it's like you have to evaluate it for its set for that set business uh for every decision and it's just you just don't know till you till you experience a little bit more
1: so let's talk about advisor for a minute, so my point of view is that like you have, you' can have a board advisors or people mentor or whatever, but it's all on the lens right They don't know what you're going through, and some advice I think they need they mean good and the tends to good, but sometimes they don't tend to give you bad advice. What has has, has been your experience with
0: that? I'll tell you two stories. One uh, was an advisor well, who wanted to be a partner. And uh, he was someone that wasn't willing to help me for free to begin with. He wanted to negotiate, like, before he gave me any advice, equity. And it wasn't a little piece of equity. Like, it was a big piece of the company. And I was very, like, this was my first three or four months. Like, I didn't know a dang thing about what I was doing. And uh, I was literally this close to signing a deal where this person would have 30% of the company as my advisor. (laughs) Every piece of advice that I got from this person cost me money. I never made money. Nothing succeeded of anything that I ever did with him. Now, luckily, he was a good guy. Like He was, he was just trying to make a good deal. I, I don't hold it against him at all. But luckily, I didn't make the deal. And luckily, he is not a part of the company. Contrast that to another person. Um, this guy, this individual's name is Jeremy White. Um, He's not a partner. He's never asked me for a penny. I've tried to get him to invest a whole bunch of times. But it's never worked, right? We've never had the right fit. But he has given me advice, friendship, guidance, a sounding board for three or four years now. And almost every time that advice that he's given me has led me to the right decision. Sometimes it's different than what he tells me I should do. I've had to take what he's... And he's the first one that said, he's like, hey, I'm going to give you this advice, but you know your business better than anyone else. Take it for what it's worth remember that I haven't spent hours and hours researching whatever it is that you're presenting to me and, and just use it as an evaluation point. And so he's given us some really critical feedback that has shaped my choice, but it hasn't, it's almost never been my, the exact same thing that he said. And so kind of like as a summary of that, I would say if you're starting up, if, if you have someone that is trying to pitch their value to you, it's probably not the right person. But if you're able to find somebody that you can sense the value in them and they're willing to work with you for free for a little while to kind of get a feel for how, how the, how they would fit into your business, that's the kind of person you should be taking advice and mentorship and friendship and partnership from. Um, Because the equity side and the advisor side is something that, it, it, the seeds planted at such an early stage. And if it's not a good seed, you don't know for, for some time down the road. And if it's the, if it's the wrong seed, it can break your foundation. It could, you know, it's going to be the wrong tree. It's going to be the wrong, whatever analogy you want to say, it's going to be the wrong thing for your business. If if it's, if you haven't gone down that road a little bit with them.
1: Yes. So I'm I'm changing the subject a little bit. So on the, on the subject of it's a small world. So you go out from Utah state, right?
0: Yes. Yep.
1: So my neighbor's son is actually a retro freshman on the Utah state football team right now.
0: There's no better school <laughs> good football coach coming in. It's going to be, it's going to be a good year if, if they play this year. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. So talk a little about how you lost your 40 pounds, the game that lost 40 pounds. Was that, was that on purpose?
0: <laughs> that was the bakery was the biggest cause for that one. Um, so we, we uh, launched the, this bakery and, I, uh, was sampling way too many of those, uh, cookies, um, and distress. I just, I, 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 uh, didn't take care of myself, uh, like I should have, I was taking care of the business. I was taking care of my family. And I was just saying like, in my mind, like, I don't have time to go work out. I don't have time to do these things. And, uh, I, within a matter of a year, I had gained, you know, probably 30 of that 40 pounds. Um, and then how I lost it, I, uh, I went to China a year and a half ago, and I was supposed to stay there for a week. I ended up being there for a month by myself. And I had nothing to do other than focus on myself for, for you know three or four days of the week because our factory would you know make a change, and then they'd take some time till I could come back and review whatever sample it was. And so I worked out three hours a day. And ate really well, and spent a lot of time kind of reflecting and changing some habits that I had. Um, and I've kept that off uh, pretty well. I've gained, I think I've I fluctuated about ten pounds from that, but I've kept that off uh, since since then. So,
1: yeah. So I, I recently did a fourteen day water fast. The other, I just finished a two weeks of so just on my water, and I went from one ninety five to one seventy three of course, Day. like in six days, I gained like seven or back on forth, So, you know, so.
0: Sure. Yeah, sure. That's impressive. Yeah, that's impressive. I'm not that committed. I'm not that committed. I like my pizza. I'd rather just go run five miles and eat my pizza. But that, yeah, well, that you know, I
1: was here fun. in this lockdown, you know, about to grow a second stomach. I was like, man, I got to do something. <laughs> right, this is, this is getting out of hand right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a danger for everyone.
1: So you, you spent some time as an executive director at a nonprofit. Is there a difference between running a nonprofit and running a quote unquote a regular business?
0: Uh, conceptually, I've found them to be really similar. Um, And obviously, like I, my my real regular business is still in startup phase, so I don't I don't have that experience from like a stabilized corporate profitable company. Um, But the nonprofit I was working uh, running was a company called Rods. It was racing for orphans with Down syndrome. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, what they did is they raised adoption grants for down syndrome orphans around the world. There's amazing, co- amazing company, amazing, uh, uh, founder. And, uh, we were able to do some pretty cool things while I was in there from an operational standpoint for that stock, for that, uh, nonprofit and uh startup where both of them are resource, uh, strapped. It was pretty similar. You know, you had to make things happen when maybe your optimal funding or resources or systems and processes just didn't exist. You had to, you had to make those. And I think as a business owner, that is like, if you're going to sum up what is your job summary and what do you do as a CEO, it's, making sure everything flows in the right direction, right? Like how do you move the wheel line every day? Cause if you just take one side of that wheel line and run it through the field, it's going to break apart, right? Like, uh, it, you have to move every wheel 10 yards at a time to get the, 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 the whole thing across the field. And, uh, I think that's, pretty accurate to how the nonprofit was and to what my experience has been so far is, you know, one day I'm like yesterday, we were spending half the day on a shipping issue and getting a discount that we were promised and getting it implemented into our software and making sure that our shipments were being optimized. The day before that we had a part issue that we had to, you know, evaluate some uh, potential part changes uh, where our leak, you know, where, where some fail points were at and cost of goods and make sure that was all going. And this morning I've spent uh, the whole morning running uh, evaluations and rec uh, reports for the last month on our marketing. So it's like every day is completely different, but in the end it's all the same thing. You're moving the piece of the business to the next point and optimizing it and trying to figure out ways to move two at the same time instead of one and not uh, Spend too, you know, not, not have one part be so over focused that it breaks another piece.
1: Danny, and I could be wrong about this, but when someone starts a company, they're known, they're known as an entrepreneur, but when yeah. someone starts a nonprofit, I don't think they're known as entrepreneur. Why, why do you think that is? It's, it's the same thing, right?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'd never thought of that, but uh, that, I mean, honestly, like from a lot of standpoints, a nonprofit's harder. Um, if times are great, you would think that fundraising was really easy for a nonprofit, but when times are bad, things are really bad for a nonprofit. And I, I actually uh, have a little insight into this one. So uh, Davis Smith, he's the founder of Cotopaxi. Um, he's a friend of mine. And uh, I've asked him this question before because I, I had, at, at first we wanted to found Infuse as a B Corp, right? Like a, a social mission company to provide some sort of benefit to society and i asked him i said hey what do you think i should do like what cause should i get behind and he told me something really interesting he said you know what focus on giving back after you're successful you have to stabilize as a company before you can contribute back to any organization in in a large way right like we find ways to do community outreach outreach we find ways to donate Um, We find ways to get behind things. Like we partnered up with out uh, underground operation, underground railroad to fight uh, child trafficking um, where a purchase of every one of their bottles, which is co-branded with us uh, goes directly back to them to help help provide freedom to these kids. Right? Like those are, that's something we're super passionate about. We love getting behind it. We made, but it's one product. It's not our whole business because our whole business isn't profitable yet. We can't, just dive into contributing in a, in a big way. Um, now that being said from a nonprofit, like if you have someone that's experienced in running a business more so than me, um, I think like all their all the nonprofit is is just a business that has to operate on, on less margins than a normal company. A lot of times.
1: Yes. And at least for a startup, you can know, you can tell the lie, you know, that you're going to get equity <laughs> down the road, right? And you are going to become a millionaire. There's no such thing as telling a nonprofit employee, you're going to get become a millionaire. Yeah, yeah, at you got you to you really love the at
0: least cause. I yeah, say, Hey, one day this is going to be worth it because I'm going to be able to pay my bills and the power won't get shut off this month. But um, the thing I noticed in the nonprofit world is every one of the, not everyone, like there's obviously some corruption in there, but, the vast, vast majority of those people are doing it for the cause and the purpose so much more than they are, you know, for their own gain. Um, but to hire the right kind of talent, those companies still have to be able to pay those people to, you know, at least a market comparison on, on the job that they're doing. And I was doing it, you know, that was a part-time, uh, workload for me. And so, uh, it wasn't you know full time compensation, but it it was, it was it was enough to it had to be enough to to keep me committed to it
1: Danny, can you talk some about the process of obtaining a patent
0: yeah um, just kind of from a base level there's there's two different kinds of patents: there are design patents which are fairly easy to get, and then there are utility patents which are more difficult to get um the design patent in order for a design patent to be useful, you need, uh, for a product specifically, you need a few of them. You need like, uh, like for ours or for our hydro, we have a design patent on our cartridge and a design patent on the system itself. And what, if you just wanted to kind of define what a design patent is, is if you were to take a 2d picture of your product, whatever that, edge of that 2d picture looks like that's your patent you got a shape you're patenting a shape Um, a utility patent is a function or a technology that allows a function to happen and so what we had to do is we had to overcome a siphoning effect between your the reservoir and the liquid flavoring that without our patented system they want to mix back and forth and you you cannot stop it there's there by the law of physics there's no way to to stop that siphoning from happening um and so what we created was uh a a mixing system that only activates when you suck and then it snaps shut when you're done suck, when you're done drinking and you know that's not that complicated that's like a a, a one-way valve right but the difference on ours is that our whole uh, mixing system moves with your suction. So when you apply suction, it moves forward and it opens up a valve that allows the flavor to come in. And then when you apply when you release suction, it snaps shut and prevents it from mixing. Um, That took three years for us to get that patent issued. So the first process on design or utility is you file a provisional patent that you have a month, you have about a year to yeah, you have exactly a year to, to file your actual application. And then once that application goes in, you are on the wait list for the patent office to send you back either an acceptance or a rejection. We were luckily, lucky enough to get an acceptance on our first round. A lot of times you have to go through a few uh, iterations of that patent to get it. And then on top of that, there are international patents that you need to be aware of. And you have 30 months from your provisional patent to file your international uh, application. Well, what you, you have, so sorry, you have one year from your provisional to file what's called a PCT retainer. And that gives you 30 months to file in whatever countries you decide to file. in, so we just file in, I think we filed seven or eight countries for our hydro system in January. Um, that'll go through the patent process and all of those before we're ever awarded anything for them.
1: So Danny is all this common knowledge or do you, you had to do like a lot of research and digging through files <laughs> and, you know, trying to figure all this stuff out. Is like, or, or you just had to Google how to do uh, a lot uh, of it's been,
0: a lot of it's been Google. A lot of it's been YouTube. Um, A lot of it, honestly, a lot of it's just been industry experience. Um, You know, I had a patent class in my business school that, you know, talked about, well, a pat like when I say patent class, I had one class period that was on patents. And so I understood the names, but I didn't understand the processes. Um, And same with engineering, right? Like I didn't have a clue about engineering. I didn't understand what any of those things meant that they would say. And my first design, I took it to our engineer and he was kind enough not to laugh at me because that system was literally going to defy physics to and and gravity to work um, but uh, I'll tell you over the past five years I've gotten to the point where I can have a, a very competent conversation with any engineer around any manufactured product because i've've grown to understand what they're saying and so what I did and I still do when I go you know into a new uh, scenario new, a new situation is I would go in and I'd meet with these investors. I'd go meet with these engineers. I'd go meet with, you know, the patent attorney. And I would just write down every word that they said that I didn't know. There was a lot of, them. and, uh, and then I'd go home and I'd look up that word and to try to appear like I knew what the heck I was talking about. Next time I'd meet with that person, I'd try to use whatever word they said back to them. So they like, Oh, he was listening. He must've comprehended our full conversation. In reality, I was replaying the conversation, you know, 10 hours later. And understanding what they meant. Then, so,
1: yes. Dan, you, you always talk about the sun, can you talk about why you started your company or how you started and what your vision is for your company going to the future?
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> our, uh, so originally I was going to be a teacher. Uh, that was what I went, I did my undergrad in. And the reason was I wanted to impact, you know, these young kids lives the way that my teachers and coaches had. And, uh, but I also realized that it wasn't going to provide me the freedom um, and resources to do some other things that I wanted to do. And so I was really torn on what to do because I thought, you know, like morally and for what I want to do from a, a life satisfaction point, like teaching could really let me do that. But on an impact side and on the scale that I thought that I wanted to make that impact, I, I realized it was going to be difficult. Um, and as I was thinking about it, I realized that some of my, most influential people I'd ever had in my life had been my bosses, had been my managers, had been even my you know my my, my peers for good or bad. If I had a good manager, I remember all sorts of things from him. If I had a bad manager, I also <clears throat> remembered all sorts of things. Um, and so I kind of realized that if I could be the kind of person that was a good, caring, and inspirational teacher, I could also be a good, caring, and inspirational business man, manager, leader, partner, whatever you want to say. And so that was kind of my turning point when I realized I really enjoyed business and wanted to go into that. And then from a cultural standpoint, we really only have, uh, I really only have two rules. And I, I, we've been talking about this quite a bit is with our team lately is that I trust my team completely. I will not hire them. I won't give them a responsibility unless I trust them to do the job. And so I try to demonstrate my trust to them in any conversation, in any project, in anything that we're working on. I trust them to make the best choice. And if they make the wrong choice, I trust that they'll learn from it and that we as a company can move forward. And so that's rule number one. I trust my people. And rule number two is that I try my very best to not expect anything from them that I'm not willing to do. Um, And so I try to you know get in the trenches with them when I when when we need to. Um, I try to go help on assembly when we're when we're running short on a part. I try to come in and run the machines when you know if it's a weekend and no one else wants to come in. So I try to do what I expect as obviously as best I can. And then as a team, you know, we've really had some really big leaps and bounds, even though our, our team as a whole is very inexperienced, right? Like my head of marketing. 22-year-old kid, not even out of college, but he's driven a higher ROI than any marketing agent we've ever been able to hire. Um, My head of operations is my uncle. He left a stable teaching job to come do this with me. And uh, he has solved problems and found solutions to assembly, uh, production, shipping, process, problems and uh, issues that we had no idea even existed until we, until we got into this, but we've been able to meddle our way through and we're getting to that point where we're, we're finally starting to hit our stride in a lot of areas.
1: Danny, can you talk about your experience with HR as a small business owner?
0: HR. Like I, 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 again, I had like one class on HR, right. when When I was in business school and there's, it, it it impacts our daily life in ways that i didn't really understand when i i always knew the value of a, of a of a you know a, a human employee like i knew that they were bringing to the table intangible and tangible assets what i think has been the biggest eye-opening experience for me and kind of ties back into those partners and uh, mentors and advisors and equity plays in the company is that, and so I've had to learn how to communicate a little bit more my expectations, you know, on a project to get the kind of results that I want. And from an HR side, I have learned that personalities are both one personality may fit really well in cells, but he may not fit well in, you know, assembly. And that's like, that's common knowledge. That's not anything new, but I've also come to understand the impact that having the, a personality in the wrong position can have on the whole culture of the company. We've had to fix a few toxic culture situations over the past two years. And, you know, going into those situations, I was always nervous. I didn't want to be confrontational. I didn't want to, you know, lose a friendship or a relationship over it. But once we finally pulled the trigger to solve whatever the issue was, whether it was, you know, just uh, some of those were being super difficult to work with or someone that was, you know, kind of had a martyr syndrome that was thinking they were doing so much more than someone else. Um, when we solve those problems, that's when the whole company functions and flows the way that it's supposed to. And then the other piece that we've had to learn, and this kind of goes back to the same thing, like we're, we're, we're figuring this out as we go is having a system in place for how we are going to manage HR situations has been super helpful. Um, The corporate structure of, you know, here's, here's each person's file and here's, you know, every time they've been written up and here's all these other things. Like we're not at that point yet. One day we will be, but right now it's, you know, Hey, if I have a problem with someone that's back in the assembly room, like we send them a text and say, Hey, you've been late three times this week. Like what, what's going on? Or, you know, if we have uh, someone wants a raise, like they knock on my door and come talk to me and we openly have a conversation as to why that can work and what it would take to get there or why we can't do that just yet because we're not to that point yet. So HR is just as critical as sales. It's just as critical as engineering, Um, maybe even more so where I need a team to build the brand with me, not people that I can boss around and tell what I want to do for the day.
1: Yeah, And of course I'm biased, but from my point of view, HR is the only business folks that touches every section of your company, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, the only other, the only other uh, piece that I would say does have an impact on, on all of our other facets would be like the product itself, you know? So, but I think you could just say that, that HR is the product portion of any business for the, the employees. You know, if I, if I, if I have a bad HR process, there's no difference between that and having a bad quality control process. It's going to be just as detrimental, if not worse to the, the company as a whole.
1: I think a lot of small business owners and founders don't get the importance of HR, you know, helping you have a great employer brand, right? Yeah. Because if your employer brand is bad, you can't recruit people. You're going to lose your people. And HR plays a big part of making sure your employer brand puts its best foot forward and have people stay and bring on great people. Yeah,
0: absolutely. The the success of Infuse has very little to do with me. Um, It has a lot to do with the product. And equally, if not more so, the team that we've built to, to, to you know, push that will line forward, um, it, it can't happen without them.
1: So, Danny, I forgot to ask you during our pre-talk, but were you going to have a, a gift or resource to share with the listeners? Yeah, if they
0: just want to use, uh, uh, if they just want to use the code CAVNESS, for, uh, we'll give them twenty percent off on anything they want to buy. So, you can just go on to InfuseHydration.com. Um, use the cabinet's code at checkout and it'll give, uh, will give them 20% off on their purchase. Um, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook, any of those other places, LinkedIn, we, we always have some announcements and, you know, seasonal giveaways, seasonal products that we're doing. We'd love to hook, hook anyone up with that stuff.
1: Uh, and speaking of social media, can you share your, your personal social media and your company? Some people can reach out to yeah. you.
0: Yeah. So mine, mine's just Danny noll D A N N Y N O A L L. Um, on LinkedIn, Instagram, uh Facebook, uh and then for uh for the infuse side everything is infuse hydration on, on all of our platforms. So LinkedIn, uh Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok has gotten kind of big for us the past few months uh and so we we try to keep things entertaining, we try to uh provide some value, not just Product sales and promotions the whole time. Uh, the brand itself has you know gained some big traction with that Infuse Your Life side of things. Um, so if you're interested as well in you know joining in our Infuse Your Life challenge, uh, getting a chance to win uh, these monthly giveaways and trips, jump on and follow us there. We'll keep everyone up to date on what's going on there.
1: And for our listeners, we have the links to his discount and his social media on the show notes. You can find the show notes at www com, and be sure to share this episode with your friends and your networks. Danny, we'll come to the end of our talk. Can you give us any advice on anything you want to talk about?
0: The only thing that uh, would be left to be said is that if you think you can do it, you probably can. If you don't think you can do it, you won't do it. And, uh, you know, if it, I, there's no reason to be afraid of putting your, your, there's no reason of being afraid of taking that leap because even if you fell, there's not, if you, if you fell, it's because there wasn't enough people that knew about you and they don't know that you fell. And if you succeed, it looks like you did it overnight, even though it probably took five years to get a profit in there. So.
1: Yep. The, the, the a good old five, five year overnight success. That's right
0: That's right.
1: <laughs> hey Danny, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. Remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening. this episode of the Jason Kavnis experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis
0: HR. Thank you and remember to be great every day. You got you pump it up, don't you know? Pump it up. You got to pump it up, don't you know? Pump it up. You got you pump it up.